This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. I'm your co-host, Pioneer Field Agronomist Jamie Farmer, and join me again this week are Field Agronomist Nick Monning and Territory Manager Abby Burks. So welcome back, gang. Welcome back, listeners. Well, Jamie, in a previous episode, we chatted a little bit or touched on tissue sampling. I think now is as good a time as any to kind of dig into the depths of that conversation. Uh, So we're prepared for tissue sampling when it comes time to do so in that V6 range. So just to kind of start us off here, what do corn and soybean tissue samples tell us, Nick? Yeah, that's a great question, Abby. I just bare bones, really, what it tells us is the concentration of individual nutrients within that leaf. So important also to remember that it's just a snapshot in time. So you really need soil samples to know what's in the soil bank. The environment can affect what the plant gets, but also the the levels within the soil tell us what it gets to. But it's just a snapshot at that particular day what that plant has in it. Perfect. Perfect. So as far as that Snapchat goes, you both have experience reading into those snapshots within that tissue sample at any any given time. Jamie, why don't you give us a picture of what that experience looks like? Yeah, mainly for for me at least, uh, and for a lot of the growers I worked with, use just to identify deficiencies. So it's, it's really a reactive tool in the past. So seeing something wrong with the corn or soybean crop out there, you're trying to diagnose things. It's always been a, a decent tool to utilize in that diagnostic process to try to identify what's going on. Really not a whole lot of correlation to yield. Um, most, most of those labs just, uh, you know, use a rate based off of the mean of all the samples that they had. So for me, just to put it simply, pretty reactive for the most part. Sure. What about you, Nick? It's the same. You know, the history of tissue sampling has been more about finding deficiencies than it's really been about using as a proactive tool. So I think that's where a lot of folks want to get to is using it more proactively. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of high yield hype around tissue sampling right now. A lot of recent chat in the industry to make tissue sampling a more proactive tool to manage your high yield crops and and make better management decisions is something that we can do with the information we gather from tissue sampling. So the idea here is to correlate what we find in those tissue sample readings to yield. With that being said, what are we doing at Pioneer to do just that? Yeah, it's a great question, Abby. So we've we put out lots of trials every year, and we have out of about 12,000 on-farm trials in the U.S. that we've put out over the last few years, we took a subset of those 500 corn plots from 2018 to 2020 and then 500 soybean plots from 2017 to 2020. We took tissue samples on those 500 corn, 500 soybeans, three different timings. So in corn, it was V6 to V8, and then it was basically tasseling to R1, which would be silking, so pollination stage, and then R3 to R5. And then on soybeans, we took it R1, which is beginning flowering, R3, beginning pod fill, and then R5, beginning seed. We analyzed all those. We looked at which ones were the highest yielding. And that highest yielding range on corn ranged from 270 bushel per acre to 474. On soybeans, from 86 bushel per acre to 123. So then we looked at those samples. We determined which nutrient at each stage was most correlated to yield. And we developed some new sufficiency ranges for corn if we're shooting for high-yielding corn. So over 270 bushel and high-yielding soybeans for over 80 bushel. And we put those 
ranges out for each one of those three timings. So let's talk a little bit about what we found in corn. Jamie, would you like to touch on that? Yeah. So, you know, from the corn perspective, obviously we talk a lot about phosphorus with corn all the time in good reason, but discovered that the most correlated nutrient to yield at V6, V8 in all those, like Nick mentioned, all those 270 plus bushel per acre locations is actually potassium. So potassium playing a, a much more critical role than probably what we had been mentioning in the, in the field when it came to corn. We also, uh, you know, in this data set found that at VT, R1, so that tasseling, silking stage, the, the most correlated nutrient at that, at that time was uh, zinc. And so, you know, we, we see that. We talk about zinc from time to time, but don't necessarily have a whole lot of folks managing, managing specifically for that micronutrient. And then kind of the third thing I think about when we, we talk about the corn side of this, of this study and, and what we've looked at, you know, corn, those where we front loaded. So putting all those nutrients there up front uh, prior to that crop really getting going, a lot of those nutrients like N and K definitely needed to take place having front loaded those for those high yield locations. So to put it simply, those 270 plus bushel guys, they're front loading a lot of N and a lot of potassium as well in those high yield locations. Okay. Okay. Now what about for soybeans? So with soybeans, we, you know, it's almost the flip. We've always talked a lot about potassium with soybeans. And obviously, again, for good reason, we know, we know potassium is needed in large quantities, not only for the grain production in soybeans, but also for the biomass. But we also actually discovered that phosphorus was the most correlated nutrient to yield at that R1, R3 timing in all our 80 plus bushel per acre locations. So sort of the flip there, really, uh, you know, seeing a correlation there with phosphorus. And then if we look later in that, you know, that growing season at that R5 timing, zinc was most correlated nutrient to yield in that. So again, now in another crop here, so not just in corn, but also in zinc, as we get later in that crop's development, not just in corn, but also in soybeans, we see zinc uh, definitely playing a role there later in that crop's development. And then kind of last thing there, you know, just thinking about when you load nutrients and, and when the demand is with soybeans, it took more of a season long nutrient load. So, you know, these may actually support the idea of side dressing for pushing soybean yields to the next level more than just foliar micronutrient type deals. So, you know, definitely some interesting observations, some things we've gleaned from both of those crops with this sufficiency and the correlation that we've done. With that said, Missouri had a pretty big sampling effort last year in 2020. Nick, you spearheaded that. What are some of the learnings we found through it in terms of corn? Yeah. So just trying to sort of hone in on those high yield locations, Abby, what some of the takeaways, at least that I had were, we did see some environmental effects on tissue sampling. So phosphorus, we saw some reduction in tissue sample levels, even when we had really high soil test values. And I think a lot of that had to do with some root restrictions, whether that was wet soils or whether that was some sidewall compaction. And then just with early planting cooler temperatures, you know, phosphorus is more available when the soil warms up, but that crop needs it really early in order to get root growth, shoot growth kicked off early on. So certain situations that does support the idea of banded phosphorus right next to the row, right in the row, um, just to get that plant off to a faster start. Another thing we saw in corn was with potassium, tissue sample levels did seem to follow the soil sample levels. They were pretty highly correlated, also well correlated to yield. So our highest yielding location 
had the highest soil test values, lowest yielding location had the lowest soil test values. So it did seem that that potassium sort of went right in line with yield and with the soil test values. Also, I guess I will also add that we noticed, not rocket science, but when we get to managing the macronutrients well and really pushing yield, it also is going to require a lot of micronutrient management. Zinc by far and away was the most limiting micronutrient of all of our locations, tissue samples. And at the first low, first sampling time, we had no location that had a sufficient level of zinc in it when we compared it to our Pioneer rating sufficiency ranges. So zinc was a big one. Boron was the second most limiting micronutrient. Those two were really big. And then the last thing I guess I'd add on the corn is that also looking at those samples, nutrient interactions are not something that just exists in textbooks. They are real, and we did see that, especially with those micronutrients with zinc. If zinc limited all those locations, but we saw that interaction in each one of those locations with iron, manganese, and copper, which limited its uptake. Phosphorus can also limit its uptake if we get a really high phosphorus value as well. So now that we've covered corn, let's chat a little bit on the soybean side of this conversation. Didn't have as many samples from soybean locations as did corn on the high yielding side, but I guess some of the takeaways or the trends that I would say I saw, you know, phosphorus does need to be built up along with potassium and vice versa. So if we're building potassium, we need to build phosphorus. If we're building phosphorus, we need to bring build potassium. They need to go hand in hand. So did have a couple locations where we both need to be built up at the same time and they weren't, but to increase yields. Saw the same trend as zinc with corn. So most all the locations did not have high enough zinc values. Zinc is something we definitely need to work on. Once again, we saw that interaction with zinc, iron, manganese, and copper, that negative antagonistic interaction. So where if we have too much of the iron, the manganese, the copper, we limit zinc uptake. We also saw some significant gaps of macronutrients throughout the season. And to me, that almost supports the idea of in-season applications of some of those macronutrients in soybeans. So Jamie mentioned that soybeans tend to take a load of nutrients up season long. It tends to support that idea of making applications in season, which we don't tend to think about. We think about making in-season applications to corn, but not beans. But the data actually seems to support the opposite in some cases. I'm not saying every case, but in some cases, um, that just that would take a whole change in mindset. But I've had some growers that have done that trying to push yields, and it's pretty astounding what that can do to tissue sample levels. Yeah, I think... The nice thing that I'll just add here, kind of at the end, summarize what I've learned from from this project here locally, Nick Spearheaded. You know, I get that question from guys, okay, so what should I focus on? Well, like he just mentioned, you know, the macros, N, P, and K, we get that. Maybe now we've got a better understanding of how important some of those are in corn and soy versus maybe we didn't think they were as important, you know, with phosphorus or potassium with either one there. But then the, the loading of it, so front-loading corn and the season-long approach on soybeans, something we're definitely going to continue to investigate and see how that will reward us at the end of the year when it comes to yield. But then also zinc, you know, we've talked a lot about sulfur. Nick and I have talked a lot about sulfur and how we've seen that really, you know, management pay on sulfur and, and using sulfate and, and making sure we've got an adequate enough load for that micronutrient. But zinc definitely keeps showing up in these these scenarios. So something that we need to definitely call attention to. And keep in mind, it's very complex. It's not super cut and dry as far as, oh, you just 
I'll just plug this in and I'll be good. I'll just plug as much as this in and I'll be good because those nutrients all interact with each other. And so the points he makes there where we see those interactions with, you know, phosphorus loads, potassium loads, uh, calcium, manganese, magnesium, iron, copper, all those things really, you know, trying to just balance that system to get the most bang for your buck on each nutrient. That's the hard part about this whole, this whole situation. Yeah, I think that's a really good call out. I think a lot of times we just want to throw everything we can on there and forget about it being a delicate balance of each of those different components. When you think about why a grower should consider tissue sampling, what are some of those considerations? Yeah, so when I have that conversation with guys, in the past, like I mentioned, it's almost always been reactive. Now we can really utilize this with these new sufficiency ranges that that this Pioneer database has has supplied and we'll continue to supply more data to that to that data set but with those sufficiency ranges that we now have for high yielding corn so 270 plus or for soybeans that are 80 plus it really gives us kind of two main ways to utilize them so you know proactively like you know like we mentioned we're trying to do identify shortcomings in your fertility program and give you the ability to correct them in season especially with soybeans with you know the research the data showing us that season-long approach really pays in that scenario, there's time to make adjustments if you're in front of it with a good tissue sampling program. And the other thing would be just to utilize those new sufficiency ranges as kind of a scorecard on how you are doing it. V6, V8 on corn, you know, VTR1 for, for corn as well, or R3, R5. And then, you know, thinking about soybeans at those timings of R1, R3, and R5. So kind of just use those ranges as a scorecard to see how your fertilizer program's doing. Take that information and make corrections for the 2022 growing season. So just getting ahead of things, see how you stand, see where your shortcomings are, and try to try to make adjustments maybe for the next season if, if you don't necessarily have the ability or want to, want to try to make adjustments within this specific season. Sure. I think those are some really good college there, Jamie. Thanks for that. Nick, any additional thoughts to wrap up this conversation on tissue sampling? Yeah, I, I guess just two last things, Abby. One is that you got to realize that the yield sink on that plant can impact the results that you see in tissue samples. So what I mean by that is you can have a lower yielding field and a higher yielding field or lower yielding plant, higher yielding plant. Tissue sample concentrations on the results you get back could look very similar, but if that lower yielding field doesn't have a big yield load there to suck those nutrients away, it's going to allow them to be in that leaf area. And so those levels might look good, but you actually may not have in the reproductive stages that much yield there. So you may get a false result, I guess is what I'm saying. So I guess what I'm saying is you might take the wrong analysis of those results. Just keep that in mind. Yield potential is kind of important when it comes to tissue sampling. The other thing I guess I would mention is that the tissue samples are based off of the concentration of those nutrients within the leaf. So the size of the leaf will impact the results as well. And so a lot of thoughts that with higher yielding crops, we have more biomass, which means we're actually diluting nutrient concentrations down. So lower yielding crops, less biomass. So actually the concentration is higher within that leaf. So again, it comes back to where those two could look similar, but I think it's just really important to match up don't use tissue samples alone. Match those up with soil samples and with different parts of your management that you're doing. 
that's where the whole art of high yield comes into play is being able to manage all these pieces individually. There's no silver bullet. Tissue sampling is not a silver bullet. It has to be added as part of a tool in the management program. Yeah, that's a great way to put it there at the end, Nick. There's not a silver bullet when it comes to the high yield thing. There's a reason that the system's so complex that it's not easily mastered. And so you think about the guys, Dowdy, Hula, Kip Colors, the folks that have been up there at the top, you know, when it comes to yield contests and things like that. there's been a lot of trials and tribulations and a lot of work behind the scenes of trying to, to make sure they balance everything right. And then, and then achieve those highest yields, but don't let that deter you. The complexity of this definitely take the opportunity on some of your higher yielding fields or, or a pet project type of deal, work with your local pioneer sales professional and utilize these sufficiency ranges just as a scorecard to begin with, to see, if there's something you could change in your fertility program to maximize a little bit more yield potential. Absolutely. I think the bottom line here is that that there are so many tools at our disposal, at growers' disposal, to achieve higher yields. This is one of them. Resources that come with with information straight from people like Nick and Jamie who've done the research on on their own and and have seen it firsthand. Uh, So with that being said, As Jamie mentioned, reach out to your local Pioneer sales professional if you have interest in utilizing tissue samples and and want to to see how your nutrient levels stack up. I think this is a neat conversation, one that I've learned a lot from. So thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, no problem. Like you mentioned, reach out to those folks and then also go to pioneer.com to to read some of the research articles that, that have been published here on the work that we've talked about. Nick, if folks don't know where to find the podcast, where should they look? podcast.pioneer.com obviously we ask you to go ahead and subscribe that subscribe to the podcast so you get a new one up uh, you get a notification and then abby for folks that uh, can't find us in the field where should they look you can find me on twitter at at abby abby underscore Burtz b-e-r-t-z and i'm at the jamie farmer so with that we thank you for your time we thank you for listening and we look forward to speaking with you guys again thank you for listening to this episode from the pioneer agronomy team Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.